Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. <laughs> you guys are so kind. I'm just imagining myself uh, when I'm 90 years old and I'm hobbling out and, and you guys cheer like he can still move. <laughs> Uh, so great to see you. By the way, uh, I, I be praying for this series that Ryan's doing. Three-week series starting October 12th and 13th, uh, and then the next uh, two weeks after that. So it's, it's going to be great. And imagine yourself just building around the feeding of the 5,000. What are all the implications of that? Uh, all four Gospels talk about that. They, they don't all include everything. In, but all four include that, and why, and what are we supposed to learn, so it should be good. Uh, tonight, or today, excuse me, <laughs> it's already into Sunday night, um, we're in Philippians chapter 3, so please turn in your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 3, if you're a guest here and you say, ah, I ran out without my Bible, chill out, we, we have it on the screen for you, so no problemo. No problemo. So as we come to Philippians chapter 3, as you know, we're, we're studying this, this whole idea of becoming overcomers, becoming people that are just living courageously for Jesus in the 21st century and living these lives full of joy. And Paul pivots here in a very unique way, but the picture that he ends up painting at the end of this passage is Paul crossing the finish line, actually yearning, straining for the finish line. Some of you ran track, and you can picture yourself pushing out your chest and leaning into the tape because you want to be the first one to cross over, right? And not lose sight of where the finish line is. And Paul is suggesting that many believers will forget what the finish line is, that you and I might be distracted along the way. He's already talked to us about circumstances, that circumstances are not to be the source of our joy, that we can find happiness. I was happy to come out and see the sun shining. It wasn't shining before the first service came out, and it's shining now. So that's happy because of circumstances, but joy is bigger, where Paul uh, invites us into this profound joy. And he's already talked to us about us learning to serve one another, to aim low. I went over and encouraged our children's ministry people this morning because they're, they're aiming low, they're serving our kids, and I want them to know that we're cheering them on, we love them, and we, we care for them. And then Paul goes on in the, in the book and talks to us that we studied last week about this great thing that we call transformation. The reason we're living this life following Jesus is because It's God, Paul says, working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not some light thing that we've stumbled into. God has actually climbed inside of our lives through the person of Jesus. And now Paul turns to the other end, and he says, at the end of this passage, he's going to talk about that he's straining, that he's yearning, that he's pressing on 
for the mark of following Jesus Christ and, and discovering him. When I was young, I ran track, and I've talked about this a little bit. You know, I don't run at all anymore. My knees, my, my vertebrae, my neck, everything. I, I want to I last, so I'm not, I'm not running anymore. But when I did run, it was largely the two-mile. And I remember uh, at the Sunset League finals, there we were. And the gun goes off, and it was between three of us that were hoping to get first place. Two guys from Westminster and myself from Santa Ana. And uh, when we came up at the end of the sixth lap, there's eight laps, one of the runners from Westminster takes off. And I thought, oh my gosh, we got a half mile to go. And he's sprinting. He must have a lot of gas in his tank. He wins. So the other guy and myself, we just keep plodding along. And as we come around the bend, I see him 100 feet ahead of me cross the finish line like this. And the gun lamp goes off. He miscalculated. He thought we were on the last lap and there was one more lap to go. Oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah. I was happy to find out I only have one guy, but you know, to end the story, which I often forget to, to do, I, I got second, not first, in that race. Paul has his eye on the finish. Do you have your eye? on the finish, and what or who is the finish line? We read in Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision we who serve or worship God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we do pray now that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, our hearts to see what you have for us and that we could not only learn in our minds but have our hearts and lives changed by your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see how Paul connects everything here. He comes back in verse one to this whole idea of rejoicing. And he says, it's no trouble for me to remind you about this. You need to rejoice in the Lord. 16 times, as I told you, in the book of Philippians, these four little chapters, and Paul uses the word only 33 times in the whole New Testament. So one-third of them are packed into four chapters. There's no question of what he wants us to know. Rejoice. But when you and I hear the word rejoice, oftentimes we don't know what to do with that word. The extroverts and the happy people love the word because they already, before they were Christians, they were rejoicing. 
They're just happy people. They wake up every day happy. And, and now that they're Christians, they can go around to people and say, come on, rejoice. Be happy like me. So the rest of us that don't have that personality profile, we just kind of grumble when they come around. Just like, oh, whatever, you know. So what is Paul talking about? Is he saying we all have to say, have the same Myers-Briggs Enneagram profile? No. He's not saying that at all. He understands different personalities. Rejoicing is bigger than happy. Rejoicing has to do with what you put your confidence in, what you trust in, what you glory in, what you boast in, yea, verily, what or who you worship. I want you to look at all these words that are actually synonyms to help us understand what Paul is unpacking here. Of course, he uses rejoice in verse 1, but notice down in verse 3, he says, Those, we who serve, and that word has to do with worship, worship God, serve him by his spirit, who boast or glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, meaning we put our confidence in him. So three different ways to think of the word rejoicing. Confidence, glory in, Worship, that's what's going to get you through the race. Who are you focused on? Who is your ultimate concern in life? There was a great book that came out uh, a couple of years ago by David Dark called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. Isn't that a great title? <laughs> uh, David, friend of mine who's a graduate of Vanderbilt, uh, you know, he, he, he gets it, and that is that everybody's religious. They're just not admitting it. What does it mean to be religious? You have a belief system. I have never met a humanoid that does not have a belief system. If your belief system is there is no God, that's a belief system. And with every belief, belief system, there's an ultimate concern. This is what I really care about. I build my life around it. Everything is around this, whatever that this is. That's called worship. That's your ultimate concern in life. Paul is saying his ultimate concern is Jesus, and he's trying to keep us focused on Jesus because guess what, friends? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And you and I are going to be tempted in our race to look to the left, to look to the right, and be distracted and forget why we're running, what we train for, where the finish line is. So he says to us, watch out, pay attention. Those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, those are strong words, and we might want to tell Paul to back off. Like, easy, Paul. This is the era of tolerance. You know, we don't use that kind of language. So let me 
unpack the language for you. Dogs was a term that Judaizers used. The Judaizers were these people that followed Paul wherever he went. Paul would preach the gospel to Gentiles, Gentiles who were non-Jewish, and he'd say, all you need is Jesus. You need to give your heart and life to Jesus. Accept him into your life. Be forgiven of your sins. And they'd say, and what else? Is there, is there a right temple to worship in? Is there right music to worship with? Is there right clothing? Is there right candles? Is there right incense? Is there right, and Paul says, simply Jesus. The Judaizers would follow Paul, they came from Jerusalem, and they'd say, we're glad that you discovered Jesus, Hamashiach, the Messiah, but it is not enough. You must also, if you're male, you must be circumcised. All of us should follow the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. We should practice the cleansing practices of the Old Testament. All the festivals, the holy days, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, we have to follow all of those for God to accept you. Two different messages, right? And they called the Gentiles dogs. So Paul flips the terminology and says, they're the dogs. The reason Gentiles were called dogs is because Jews were allowed into the holy area of the temple. Gentiles were outside. Just as dogs are not allowed in their houses, Gentiles are not allowed into the holy place. They were called dogs. So Paul reverses the terminology and says, they're on the outside. They're not on the in because they got the gospel wrong. Furthermore, he says they're evildoers. They think they're doing good by correcting everybody, saying it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. You gotta do this, 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 and this. Then it's enough. Paul says, that's not good. That's actually evil doing. By the way, the reformers, Bullinger, Calvin, Luther, and before them, John Huss, all came to the awareness that it is Christ plus nothing. It's rather startling to hear that. If you feel a little bit naked hearing Christ plus nothing, really? But is there something we should be doing for insurance just in case? You know, do we make, the worst that can happen is we get extra credit. But the problem with that is we begin to put our faith in something else that we're doing other than what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. He paid the price on the cross, not me. I put my faith in him, not in me. But as soon as I start turning to what I'm doing, I'm putting my confidence, my glory, my boasting, my rejoicing in me not in Jesus. So he says it's evil doing, and then he uses this very technical term and says they are mutilators of the flesh. This is a play on words. For us in English, it doesn't make much sense, but the word for circumcision 
is peritame. Tame means to cut. Peri is to cut around. Paul says they're not the true peritame. They are the katatame, which means to cut down or mutilate. So they're calling themselves, we are the true circumcision. And Paul says, no, you're the mutilators. You mutilate people's faith. They had a faith in Jesus, and now they're, they're confused. It, it, you know, it's kind of like people uh, playing, you know, giving their money in the stock market. You know, well, I don't want to put all my money here, so I might want to put it here, might want to put it there in case the market goes up, then I've got some money in bonds, and then if the market goes down, I've got it covered every way. And so we approach faith that way, say, well, hope Jesus is good, but you never know. What if you get to heaven and you find out you were baptized the wrong way? Or it was really all about the incense. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Or you really did need to say our father 89 times and not any less. What would we do? I shared with you last week the comic strip I saw of someone standing at the pearly gates and whoever it was, St. Peter, looking through and he says, you know, you're... Username doesn't match your password, I'm sorry. (laughs) Who are you rejoicing, putting your trust in, your confidence, your faith, your glory in? Is it simply Jesus? And is he enough? It's the big question. And so Paul warns us about being distracted from all these different things. Here's a different way to think about it. In the Bible and in life, there's a lot of different truths that we come across, right? And all of these truths are in balance with one another. But sometimes you meet a person where they take a truth and they make it the truth. You know, when you got a hammer, everything's a nail. Have you met those people? So it's, it's not just Jesus, but this is the right translation. It's not just Jesus, but this is the right doctrine. It would be like if I stepped on the stage and I, I saw the instruments, the bass, the guitar, microphone, and the keyboard. I said, oh, love keyboard, my precious And uh, I say, you know, the keyboard is not big enough. It's not loud enough. It's not tall enough. And I come out with this supersonic keyboard. And you walk into the room and say, whoa, nice keyboard. (laughs) It's like, whoa, that is a very big keyboard. No question what you're into, right? You meet people like that. They started out following Jesus. And now they want to know... Is your doctrine dispensational enough? They start out following Jesus and they want to know if you're reformed enough. 
They start out following Jesus, but they want to know, do you know all the ins and outs of the end times the way I know and the date that Jesus is coming again? And what started out so wonderful, now you start avoiding them every time they come around because they got a hammer and everything's a nail. <laughs> My uncle did this on us. Thankfully, uh, he reverted back to simply Jesus, and he's no longer with us anymore. <laughs> so I can talk about it. <laughs> but my dear uncle, and I had a part in leading him to the Lord, but he took this right turn where he got completely obsessed with health food. Now, if you're into health food, I mean you no harm. Uh, I love health food. I eat healthy so I can eat bad when I want to eat bad. That's, you know, you got to stay healthy for those moments. any rate, he, at every family gathering, he would tell us what every bite was doing to our arteries, what it was doing to our digestive system and to our colon, and, and what it was doing to our minds. And uh, we began, particularly at Thanksgiving, to get our meal, particularly our apple pie and pumpkin pie and chocolate pecan pie, and find out where he was seated <laughs> and go to a different table. <laughs> because he would just start in. And I remember when he started out, he was, he was a lover of Jesus and he was a great evangelist, just bringing people to the Lord and talking about the Lord. And now... The Lord was over here, and he was just talking about lecithin and uh, people's colons, and, and I was just like, I, I, it was not good news. <laughs> now, that's a fun way to just laugh at ourselves, you know, because we've all done it, but is Jesus simply Jesus? Is that enough? And is he the finish line? For you, and is he the finish line for me? So Paul says, the truth of the matter is we are the true circumcision. Because circumcision was never to be focused on the outward. It was, it was a heart thing. Jeremiah 4.4 says, circumcision is of the heart. Paul, as a rabbi, picks up on this in Romans 2.28, where he says, no, a man is a Jew inwardly with a circumcision of the heart. So it's not outward that we're pointing to or boasting in or rejoicing with. It's an inward thing. Jeremiah 9.23 says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Strong man boast in his strength, rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and he understands me. Folks, when you begin to think about this, you realize uh, we got nothing in our pockets. We're, we're the jolly beggars that, that have nothing. That It was Jesus, and then I did this, and I was amazing, and I did that, and it's just... Jesus is amazing. So when Paul says, rejoice in him, put confidence in him, glory in him, worship him, 
He's keeping us focused to keep Jesus the main thing. This is big in the day that you and I live in, that we live in a self-improvement era. And I think that self-improvement can do a lot of things. You can learn a language, you can lose weight, you can correct some of your stinking thinking through self-improvement, but there's a lot of things you cannot do. And one of them is you cannot save yourself. Sorry, just saying. As good and amazing as you and I are, you cannot save your soul. So the truth of the matter is, ours is not a self-improvement program. Ours is a self-abandonment program. (laughs) Jump ship. This is not going to make it all the way to the mainland. Jesus said, if you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself. Ours is a burial and resurrection program, not a self-improvement program. The reason Paul was so gripped about this is because he was a Pharisee, and he was the guy who bragged about himself. And so I want you to hear Paul's bragging for a moment, because he actually does it. So you can understand what it sounds like when people do this. He says, I have reason for confidence like these other people. If someone else thinks I I have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, not the sixth, not the seventh, not the ninth. The perfect number, new beginning, eighth just as the law prescribed. People of the people of Israel, I'm a Jew, they're Gentiles, of the tribe of Benjamin, not just any tribe, the tribe that produced the first king, the king whose name I am named after, Saul. A Hebrew of Hebrews, My mother and father were Jewish, and we spoke Hebrew in the home. That's what that means. In regard to the law, an arch-conservative, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Whoa, I was the guy that locked up and killed Christians. And as for righteousness based on the requirements of the law, faultless. Now, what Paul would probably tell you is what he was overlooking was all of the pride, the stench of his pride that he was bringing to the table. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Amazing that he would actually call religious things, religious practices, garbage if it led him away from Christ. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith alone in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis 
of faith. So he says, I have more religious accolades than anybody. Now, if you came into the the, uh, church this morning and you're brand new here, and there's got to be a dozen people here that are brand new, and our pride knows how to function outside the walls of the church. Did you know? I mean, a simple uh, explanation of pride outside the walls would be the four Bs, beauty, brains, bronze, and bucks. That's what our world largely puts pride in. I'm amazing because I got the bronze. I'm amazing because I got the beauty. I'm amazing because I got the brain. Or I'm amazing because I've got the bucks. And we look and we say, oh, score them high. Now, I'm glad you're beautiful. I'm glad you groomed yourself today. I'm glad you went to college. And I'm glad that you go to work to earn money, et cetera, et cetera. But really, you say, why would we boast in that? Silly, right? I mean, you've been to the mixers, the parties, where we all boast. You know, you're meeting strangers, and people are walking around with hors d'oeuvres trays, and you think, ooh, I'll have one of those and one of those. And, and you're saying, and who are you? Good to meet you, and so forth. And, and everyone says, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do this. I'm a, I'm a broker for all the more important people in Beverly Hills. And who are you? And I say, well, I'm seven foot two, sing like Aretha Franklin, and <laughs> who are you? And we, and, we, and we put the best foot forward just like we were interviewing for a job, right? And you say, why? I love the words of Princess Bride. You know, it says, no one of significance. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to do it a mixer? And who are you? No one of consequence. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But we aim high because we want people to admire us. So when we come through the door of the church, we don't know what to do. Let me tell you, the pride comes with you. The pride knows how to live inside the church as well as outside the church. It just needs to size things up and figure out, so how do we grow pride here? So you look around, the first thing you say, ooh, people wearing orange ribbon with laminates must be very important. I need to get an orange necklace with a laminate. Maybe I can one day be an usher. Oh, look at that. People on the stage. Hmm. I used to play the ukulele once. Maybe I can get a little bit of attention. And who's that funny little man with the big mouth? Maybe... Maybe that could be me someday. Our, our, our egos, I know it's not you, but somebody does this. Our egos think, whoa, how do you become important in this group of people? And the true answer is, we don't. Jesus, Jesus is important. And it's so freeing, but it's so stark to think, and then you wonder, well, what do I do with all this other stuff? Because I, I memorized this chapter of scripture. I, I went to 18 years of Sunday school and never missed a week. And I, and I went to a Christian college and I want somebody to know that I did all this. What do I do? Paul says, for him, it's such a distraction 
that he, call, he counts it garbage. Not that it, it wasn't part of his story and his education, but because he wants to be proud about it, he can't let him be himself be because he wants to rejoice in Jesus instead. So instead, he counts it garbage. Woo! So here's something to think about. What if you could actually smell pride? Like it put, gave off an odor? And now you're back at the mixer, you know? And someone begins to say, well, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen Brian Reagan do his little thing on, uh, on this. Well, you know, someone says, you know, last time I was on the Audubon going 120 miles an hour in my Maserati, and, and you know, and you, it just puts off an odor. Woo! And it keeps moving on to the next person. And as Brian Reagan says, you finally get to the astronaut that says, you know, the last time I was on the moon in my lunar rover... And it gives off this odor that we think, oh. So what if it was true for Christians? You know, I really felt called of the Holy Spirit to seek the Lord lately. So I've been getting up at dark 30 <laughs> and going off on the weekends to fast uh, and um, in practice silence. Woo! Why would we use the things of God to advance our ego? Paul calls them garbage. So what do we want? He says, we want to know him. That's the whole thing. It was why you started in the beginning. You didn't sign up to advance your ego on the religious playing field. You signed up because Jesus loved you. Who is this guy that would forgive you of all of your sins? Who is this guy that would rise from the dead? Who is this guy? That's who you signed up for. And Paul's challenging you and me to not get distracted. Finish the race with your eyes on Jesus. So we have marathons, half marathons, 5Ks, everything here in North Coastal County. And they close down the, the Coast Highway often. And you see these runners. They look so good. And I'm imagining they can hardly wait for the next stand where they can get their little cup of water and swallow it or throw it on their face and to keep running. But can you imagine if we changed it and we said, okay, we're not going to just have water and Gatorade. We're also going to have all kinds of retail booths for you as runners to consider the next time you're out. So we'll have a booth on all these running shoes that you might actually be faster right now if you were wearing these. We're going to have wetsuits for you triathlon people for the next time you go into that frigid water. We're going to have, and they have some diet items for you to, and so now you're running along and you say, whoa, those are nice shoes. Oh, oh, that's really a nice wetsuit. I wonder if I can, and that's what we do as Christians. We started out for Jesus, but now it's like, whoa, 
Maybe that's what I should emphasize. Maybe that's what, and before you know it, we've lost the main thing. So what does Paul do? You're still there, right? Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained, obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can't you feel the longing just coming out of the print? I, it, I think I hear you too singing as he, I read these words. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But is that the kind of maturity you see? A mature Christian is saying, I'm not there yet. A mature Christian says, I don't know it all. A mature Christian says, I'm still learning. But there's something in us that wants to say, Maturity? Yes, well, let me tell you, it's just so hard to not take pride off the shelf and show it. But Paul doesn't have to discipline himself about the pride because he knows what the prize is. It's Jesus. It always has been Jesus. What I love about Paul is he has walked with Jesus for 30 years. He saw Jesus the day he was converted. He saw Jesus and in a vision that's recorded in Acts in Corinthians. He's been up to the third heaven and he saw things he can't tell us about because of his, it would make him proud so he doesn't tell us what he saw when he went up into the third heaven and saw this vision. He has seen miracles. He has seen thousands of people repent and come. And he's not bragging about any of that. He wants to know Jesus. That's maturity. Right? Folks, we are all preschool. We're, we're not even kindergartners. We are preschoolers in the discovery of Jesus. So the question is, do you still got the hunger? Do you still long for the finish line? you still long for Jesus? Is the main thing still the main thing? Or are we getting distracted along the way? So he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And he climbs through the resurrection before he gets to the cross. So it's like he's going backwards from where he is. He says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Why is that important? Because it's the power of the resurrection that is changing you. Did you know? And will one day change your mortal bodies into a brand new. That's why that is pretty important. I want to know what that power is. Can it change a person like me? And to know the fellowship of his sufferings 
That's all about love. How much does he love you? What caused Jesus to cross the infinite gap from heaven to earth, from eternity to mortality, to take on skin and then to die, driven by love for you, to forgive you? You see, it's not just about your running to him. He already ran to you. Remember the story of the prodigal son, the father that runs to forgive his son? That's God. I want to know that kind of God. I want to know his love. So Paul says, I press on. I press on to know him. He's my joy, he's my confidence. He's who I worship because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I want you to imagine a movie that you probably have seen. It's of a World War II soldier coming home. He's on a ship. His ship pulls up to the dock and there's thousands of people to greet these sailors and soldiers coming home. And, and the sailors and the soldiers are looking to see if they can find their spouse and their kids that they haven't seen for 18 months to two years. And do you see them? And how much have the kids grown in the last two years? Do you even recognize them? And you can hardly wait because you want to know them. You want to be with them but there's other things on the dock that can distract. There's, there's the admiral who's standing at the end of the ramp to congratulate you, coming back alive, well serving your country, and all the different uh, officers that are there in their whites to congratulate you. And, and they want to probably hear a little bit of your story. And then there's the press that are all there with their microphones. And what was it like, Ensign Foreman? What battles were you in and what did you experience? And, and wow, this is my chance to have my face and my story in the Union Tribune. And then there's always the clowns that are selling something. But then there's your family. So what do you do as a soldier and sailor? I can tell you what I would do. Admiral, thank you very much, but not now press, journalists, thank you very much, but not now. And clowns, whatever. <laughs> because I want to get to my spouse and my kids, right? They're just pressing through. And we've seen the pictures where they pick each other up and they hug each other and we cry to watch them cry. Folks, this is bigger than that. This is the Son of God that loves you. And we get to know him forever and ever and ever. Not that I've already obtained it, but I want to know him. Because the main thing 
is to keep the main thing, the main thing, simply Jesus. Father, we pray now that you'd return our hearts like homing pigeons back to home again. God, we live in the most distracting world ever invented. The politics, the pressures on the family and the pressures on our own lives and all these different things that are crying out, pick me, pick me, pick me. And Lord, we turn to put our eyes back on Jesus, the finish line. Lord, we thank you that you endured the cross and the resurrection for us. And Lord, now we put you in our sights. We can hardly wait to see you. We can hardly wait to be with you. And so, Lord, push aside all the things that hinder us and slow us down and the distractions and forgive us for the times that we make the, the sideshows, the main stage. God, make us believers that keep you as the main thing. This morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, this passage may be ringing deep in your heart and you may realize, wow, I have gotten so way off, so distracted. I need to come home. Or maybe you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Either way, it's decision time. What do you boast in? What are you confident in? What do you glory in? Where is your joy found? And so in the quietness of this moment, I want to give us an opportunity to respond in our souls. To see Jesus on the dock and go running to him. So if this is you this morning, either you haven't made a decision for Jesus or you did a while ago and you've really got off course, this is your invitation to come home, to come back, to get on course. And so in the quietness of this moment, if you could just raise your hand while the rest are praying, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just raise your hand. And let me know, yeah, that's, that's me, Mark. I want to get my eyes back on the finish line. Yes, God bless you. God bless you back here, way in the back. Thank you. It's not just for me, but it's for your own soul. Anyone else? How about here in the middle? Yes, God bless you. Way in the back, I see you in the corner too. Right here in the middle. Thank you. Yes, God bless you. And you over here to my left. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Yeah. Double. Love it. God bless you. you raise your hand this morning I want you to pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud Lord I'm coming home I'm so homesick 
come into my life afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wash the slate clean. Thank you for loving me. And now my prayer is to know you, to know your love and your power. Begin a fresh work in my life. For from this day forward, Lord, I'm a follower of yours, and you are my finish line. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.